0: long-winded this morning i'll attempt to make up for that tonight i've heard everybody's favorite sermon is one that's got a good beginning and a good ending and the shortest amount of time possible between the two so we'll work towards that we're in first Timothy chapter six i think we began this three weeks ago but honestly i don't remember what i said and uh so i'm sure you guys don't remember what what i said so uh We'll just start over in 1 Timothy 6. I actually don't think we even got into the first verse. we we'll give you a little background. <clears throat> Chapter 5 would be about treatment of church members. And, and we went through all of that, and it talks about how to treat each other, how to treat widows, how to treat elders, how to treat people that are in sin, how to, just all of these things. Chapter 6 is actually just a continuation, uh, but it's going to be a continuation about relationships, and, and that's what a lot of this is, relationships. This is going to be the slave and master relationship. And you've got to remember, uh, although we don't uh, deal with this now, during this time period, uh, it was common practice to have slaves. In fact, I think I told you three weeks ago that Rome was a slave society. And in the whole Roman Empire, which was massive, it is estimated that there was about 60 million slaves. A rich Roman could have up to 20,000 slaves himself now think about that if you were a rich Roman you could have up to 20,000 slaves in fact it's estimated that that 60 million number that's at least a third of the population of the Roman Empire and possibly up to half of the population so man they were a slave society now when Jesus uh, through the spirit revealed the word of God we talked about I believe that if he had just wrote in their scripture thou shalt not, have slavery, what would it have caused? Massive problems, right? Listen, God's got more wisdom than we ever thought about having, but you're not going to take a problem that's been a problem for a 100 years and go in and solve it just like that. I had a friend of mine that was a preacher, a younger preacher, and he went in to try out for a job, and man, he went in there the first meeting, and he hammered out some problems that they had, and you know what? He didn't get the job. And he said, Well, what do you think? And I said, Well, how long do you think it got, how long do you think it took for all of those problems to kind of get to the point that they're in? Well, a long time. I said, Did you think he was gonna go in there in one meeting and fix them all? And then, God knows that, right? A slave society that's got a third of the population that's slaves, you're not gonna just all of a sudden write thou shalt not, and it disappears. That's not gonna work. So God's gonna implement principles and and things that's gonna eventually Cause that to go away, this country slavery was abolished in this country. Why do you think that was? Was it not because of Christian principles? You say no, it was because this or that. Was it not because of Christian principles? Yes, that's what this country was founded upon—about treating each other the way we want to be treated, and all of those things. Our Our Constitution was written; those writers they wrote it based upon the Bible and and all of our early leaders. Now I know now we've thrown god out the window but that's not how it started and that's not how it was up until especially more recent times Uh, but christianity causes a lot of things to be better you know when it comes to if you were a slave in first corinthians chapter 7 we got verse 17 through 24 the bible talks about there paul was answering some questions and and the questions apparently were something like this what if i I'm called to be a Christian and I'm a Jew. Do I give up all of... Jew- this is We're not privy to the questions that Paul is answering in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We have to use human reasoning and go back and try to figure out what the questions were. He's going to answer them. But apparently the questions were, if I'm called to be a Christian and I'm a Jew, do I throw away all my Jewish heritage? Do I stop anything... If I'm called to be a Christian and I'm a Gentile, do I give that up and go along more with the Jews? If I'm called to be a Christian and I'm a slave, does that mean I automatically get one of those, you know, in Monopoly, get out of get out of jail free card, right? Is that what it means when I'm a Christian? i got to get out of slavery free card? And somewhat that would be what the questions were. And Paul's answer was none of that really matters. If you're called... To be a Christian, now you're called, Second Thessalonians 2 verse 14 by the gospel. If you're called to be a Christian and you are a Jew, so what? You're a Christian that has a Jewish heritage. But he says you don't have to stop and get away from your Jewish heritage. Now you don't follow the, the old law, but it's okay to be a Jew and be a Christian. If you're a Gentile and you're called to be a Christian, and he uses circumcision, uncircumcision in First Corinthians chapter seven. It doesn't mean you have to revert one to the other. It really doesn't matter. He says, if you're called to be a Christian and you're a slave, so what? You can go to heaven and be a slave. He says, if you're going to, wherever you are at in life, he says, just be a Christian, wherever it is. Now, people have abused that, and they have taken that to, if you're called to be a Christian and you're in an adulterous marriage and you just stay right there, that's not what he's dealing with at all. He's dealing with uh, things in your life, uh, the, the place maybe that you find yourself. Never anything sinful, but if you find yourself in a situation that is not inherently sinful, he says, just stay there. He says, you're the Lord's no matter where you are. If you're a Jew or Gentile, what nation you're from, whether you're a slave or free, you're still the Lord's. So God has always dealt with this very thing. But he said in verse 1 of First Timothy 6, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. Now think about that. If you find yourself as a bondservant, which would be a slave, and he says you are under the yoke, that'd be hard. First verse is dealing with a Christian slave and a non-Christian master. Now the second verse is going to be dealing with a Christian slave a Christian master. But the first verse, man, you've got a hard situation. Hard situation you got somebody that's maybe very, very difficult to you. Maybe you would compare it to uh, the Israelites after the death of Joseph and, and after they had even forgotten who Joseph was. How did the Egyptians treat the Israelites? They were hard, right? I mean, man, they made the yoke heavy and their burdens were hard. Did God expect them to you know, stop serving God because it was hard? No. Same situation here. You find yourself under the yoke You're under a hardship. And he says, you count your own master. A master here would be an absolute owner. They owned you. Now again, we don't experience that today, but during that time period, they did. He says, you count him worthy. Count him worthy. I want you to think about that just for a second. How in the world do you count somebody worthy? Well, in verse 17, back up in chapter 5, in the same context here, the elders who rule well are counted worthy of double honor. You look at that person and you judge within yourself that you are going to be respectful of that person. Can you be respectful of someone that mistreats you? Some of you say, no. As a Christian, should you be respectful of someone even if they mistreat you? What Jesus say? If somebody slaps you on one cheek, what do you do? You rear back, hit them with all oh, your mind, right? Oh, that's not what he says. He says, you know, you turn, let them. He just saying you you can still respect someone. Now, he's not saying allow somebody to just beat you up. But he's saying you could even respect someone that mistreats you. He says if somebody's going to take something from you, he says you can give them something else. Again, you can respect someone even if they mistreat you. He says you're to pray for your enemies. Do good to your enemies. He tells us all of those things and those things are very, very hard. And I imagine if I were a slave and someone owned me and they were hard on me, man, it would be hard. It'd be hard to be faithful, right? It'd be hard to be a Christian. He says, you count them worthy of honor, which would be respect or reverence. Now, here's what we do. In today's society, we don't have slaves and masters, but we do have employees and employers, right? Now, any of you work for non-Christian bosses? Or sometimes those non-Christian bosses are not very nice to you. As a Christian, is you know because you belong to God and because you're free. Does that give you the right to disrespect them and go against them? And you no, know, see, all of this is going to apply. You know, I wrote down some things. Christian should be the best worker at his job. Even in this situation in the slave, the Christian should be the most honest person there, the most trustworthy. The Christian should be one that is eager to please and have the best attitude on the work side. Is that always true? Because sometimes what we do, we give in to ourselves. We give in to what we want. I don't like it because they are this, 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 and they said this to me and they did this to me. And therefore, a lot of times what we want to do is have a bad attitude and we want to get them back. We want to show some vengeance, although the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The Bible teaches a lot of things that we don't really like, doesn't it? And a lot of times when we don't really like it, and I say we, it sure is hard to keep it. You know, we're human. And again, go back to this morning's lessons. We want to focus on what we see, what we're experiencing. Not sometimes what we know to be right, but it's what is right before us. It's the things that sometimes get us in trouble. He says, you do this so the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. Blasphemed. The word blasphemed means to speak evil against. Don't you to think about something. Do people base their opinion on the Willow Avenue Church of Christ based upon us? If people know that you are a member of the Willow Avenue Church of Christ And maybe you're the only person they know at Willow Avenue. Sometimes will they base their opinion on the whole church based upon you or me? Yeah, that's sad. And it shouldn't be so. But again, we don't live in a perfect world. And not everybody, you know, uh, plays by the same rules. And even in this situation, you've got a Christian that's in a horrible situation and this owner, this master of this slave is mistreating him. Even in that situation, God says, You don't want people to blaspheme God because of the way you're acting so you be the best that you can be in whatever situation you find yourself in. All right, verse two deals with a Christian slave, a Christian owner. It says, And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort. these things. You ever heard the phrase familiarity breeds contempt? Think about that for a second. What would that mean? All right? Let's go in today's society. Again, we're not slaves and masters today. But let's go in today's society. <clears throat> You've got a job, and your boss is a Christian. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you go to church together, maybe you're good friends. Sometimes, can you be tempted to take advantage of that? I have heard in my life, you know, I've worked for myself most of my life, and I've heard in my life, don't ever hire family or church members. Is there some truth to that? That's sad, though, but it's well, Oh, She's right. Yeah, she said sometimes family will do you worse than a ranked stranger. I said, yeah. okay. I don't have any arguments with that. But uh, that's what he's dealing with here. He says, you've got a Christian master, and and you're a Christian yourself, and you're a slave. He says, don't take advantage of that relationship. Under this society, if that master had bought and paid for you, you were his. Now, he may be kind to you. He may allow you privileges that, that that heathen master would not, but you don't take advantage of that situation. But sometimes today, that happens even in the workplace. You've got a boss that's kind and good to you, and treat you well. And sometimes people take advantage of that situation, and they try to get away with so many things, and they try to, you know, think they don't have to do as much as anybody else because you know I know them. And again, go back to family or whatever it is that you want to say. Sometimes those things happen, and Paul is dealing with that very thing. He says, "Don't allow that to happen." He says, "Let not." Let them not despise them because they are brethren. You work hard. You do the same things that we talked about. The Christian should be the most honest, hardworking, trustworthy, uh, the best attitude. Even if you're both family, even if you're both Christians, especially if you're both Christians. Listen, if I work for you and you're a Christian, should I not want you to do better? What is it Romans chapter 12 says when... Honor, you're to prefer one another. You ever thought about that? As a Christian, I should want you to have it better than me. Again, that's one of those verses we don't like, do we? We don't like those verses, so we kind of like throw them out the window and, you know, take a a black, you know, Sharpie. Sharpie works good. You can get rid of it, it won't be in your Bible anymore, right? Some people take scissors, cut it out of their Bible. Problem with that is it cuts out what's on the other side too, and you might like that one. So don't do that. but listen, these are these are serious things. You respect the position. You respect the position. If you are a Christian and you work for a Christian, you respect that uh, boss. You know the master also is not left out of all of this. Sometimes just because Paul doesn't deal with it here, God doesn't leave that out. Colossians chapter four verse one, Ephesians chapter six verse nine deals with those very things. A master is to treat his slave with respect. A boss is to treat his employee with respect. He goes on to say, teach and exhort these things. Why would he say that? It's unpopular, right? This would be a very unpopular thing. And didn't Paul know that? So he tells Timothy, you got to teach those things. But not only do you teach it, you got to exhort, you got to continue to press that thing over and over again because people's not going to want to hear it. Listen, I don't want to hear things that make me uncomfortable. Do you? No. But you'll never grow if you're not ever uncomfortable. You know, uncomfortableness situations, they help us to grow and to be better people. I'd really like to get verses 3 through 5 if there's any way possible. All right. He goes on to say, if anyone teaches... Now, he's shifting gears here. Shifting gears. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, He is proud, He knows nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw thyself. Now he begins this thinking back to all the things that he's just said in chapter 5 and the first two verses in chapter 6. He said, if any man teaches otherwise. You know, I'm telling you how to deal with each other, how to have better relationships, how to treat your widows, treat your elders, how to treat your slaves, all of these things. He said, but if somebody comes along and they teach otherwise, well, they're in trouble. If they come along and they disagree with Paul, who was that guy on TV that rebuked Paul? I can't remember his name now. Big shot. anyways televangelist. He rebuked the Apostle Paul. I can remember reading about it. Uh, You can't do that. He says you can't come along and you can't disagree with what is biblical. He says if you teach otherwise, you don't consent to wholesome words. The word consent means to draw nigh. if, If God gives us words that He wants us to live by, as Christians, we consent to those, or at least we should, we should draw nigh unto them. They should be important to us. We should strive to keep them to the best of our ability. Those wholesome words are words that produce a healthy church and they bring order. Do you realize if we do things the way God wants us to do those things, in the way that God wants us to do it, then we will be a very healthy church. We'll be a very orderly church. We'll be a church that, that He wants us to be. And He gives us all of that. Some of it is milk. Some of it is meat. He tells us as newborn babes in Christ, we should desire the sincere milk of the Word. When we are first Christians, we want to to take those things that are not as hard to understand and, and take them in. And as we grow and mature, he says, well, meat belongs to those that are mature. So those wholesome words are the things that we need in whatever stage of life that we find ourselves in. He says we need to consent to those wholesome words. Even the words of the Lord Jesus, His words is what's going to judge us, John 12, 48. And the Apostle Paul reminds them and us that these are not just what he thinks. These are the words of Jesus. He is speaking through inspiration. He says, if people teach otherwise, they do not consent to the doctrine that accords with godliness. You know, men, let's be honest. Men don't really like godliness. Godliness is a deep respect and reverence and obedience to Christ ultimately, in our nature, don't we want to do what we want to do? If you're honest, don't you want to do a lot of times what you want to do? Yes. Isn't that why we struggle so much? Yes, because we fight within ourselves Spirit against the flesh, flesh against the spirit. Go reading the book of Galatians. It's a constant battle of who's going to win. And, you know, that's that's hard. He says the person that, that teaches otherwise, that fights against those things... Number one, he says, he is proud. He's proud. He's conceited. He or she, could be a sheep. They're conceited. They're arrogant. They're self-absorbed. A lot of times, or not a lot of times, all the times they have a huge ego. A lot of times they think they're a know-it-all. You ever known anybody that thinks they're a know-it-all? Yeah. You know, somebody that thinks they know every answer to every biblical situation, every life situation, and... Uh, nobody likes to be around that person, right? No. Nobody likes a know-it-all. So we've got to be careful that we don't do that. Not only does he say he's proud, but he says he knows nothing. Do you believe the Bible ever has sarcasm? I believe the Bible has sarcasm. You know, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he, he's calling out to God and then the prophets of Baal, call out to their God, what does Elijah say? Maybe he's going on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. You know, maybe he's he's busy and he can't hear you. And you know? The Bible has sarcasm in a lot of places, and I believe right here it is. Paul says the person that does not consent to wholesome words but teaches otherwise, number one, he's proud. Proud means you're a know-it-all and you're arrogant. And you think, number two, he says he knows nothing. It's a sarcastic term. He doesn't know anything, even though that he thinks he does. He has uh, claims of great knowledge, uh, I know this is not what a preacher should say, but sometimes people are, we use the term educated idiots. That get me in trouble. Uh, you probably all use that, right? A lot of people are educated above their intelligence. You ever heard that one? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of person that he's talking about here. Somebody that thinks they know it all and they've got every answer, but ultimately they don't know much of anything. And he says sometimes those are the types of people that really, really like to teach. He says... Some people are obsessed with disputes and arguments. Obsessed with disputes and arguments. You ever know somebody that tries to make everything an argument? What kind of person does that? A person that's got a huge ego, that thinks they know it all, that's arrogant and proud. Why do we have to make everything an argument? A lot of times, what happens when we try to make everything an argument? Proverbs 6, verse 19, The seventh thing the Lord hates is one who sows discord among brethren. If we as Christians, I know this is talking about somebody that's teaching false teaching. Listen, every one of these can apply to us just as good as anybody else. If we try to make everything an argument, what do we do? We sow discord. That's what we're going to do. Don't always think that you've got to win an argument. Don't think you've always got to have the last word. You know what? You don't have to. Jesus didn't. You know, if people didn't agree with Jesus, you know what He did a lot of times? He just went on somewhere else. Could He have argued? You better believe He could have argued. Could He have won? He'd have won every time. You show me where He argued. He didn't. He taught the truth. Went His way. People either accepted it or they didn't. Ultimately, it comes to our feet of whether or not we will uh, accept it or not. He says, from these things comes envy. You know, envy Envy comes from someone who's obsessed with winning an argument, doesn't it? He says, this is where it comes from. People who are proud, they know nothing, and they're obsessed with arguing. He says, from that comes envy. Envy is when you are jealous or you're discontent when others do well. You don't like to lose and therefore you don't want anybody to be right over you and therefore a lot of times the envy comes from that. He says strife comes from it. Strife is bitter contention. Bitterness, just ill, will, and you know just don't want to be around the person. It's always discord. He says reviling comes from this. Reviling is uh, from the word that blasphemy comes from him. It's harsh and abusive language toward those that disagree. Sometimes in the church, do we disagree with people and we want to argue with people and, and we use harsh language to talk about those people? Even in the religious world, if we disagree, can I still respect you? Yes, I can still respect you even if I don't agree with you. It's okay to disagree. You're going to stand before God and I am, but I don't have to use harsh language to describe you. I don't have to call you all of these names. That, that does anyone any good. And also, evil suspicions. The word means sinful suspicions against anyone who disagrees with you. Sometimes, are we like that? Yeah. He says, don't do that. He says, you've got to get rid of those things. One more verse and I've got to hurry. He says, also from this comes useless wranglings. Useless wranglings is constant quarreling. Just constant fighting. You ever known someone that just can't let it go? You ever asked that before? Maybe... You know, maybe you and your spouse are fighting. And maybe just keeps bringing it up. I and mean, if you ever said, can't we just let it go? Nobody's going to admit that, right? My wife's in Florida. I can admit it. My wife said that before. Uh, sometimes we can't let it go, can we? God says, don't be like that. Sometimes you just got to let it go. Sometimes you can't fight over everything. Fighting doesn't always uh, do things good. Why do you think there's family feuds? I'm not talking about the game show with Steve Harvey. Why do you think there's real family feuds where families just split and splinter and nobody speaks to each other again? Because nobody will be the biggest per- bigger person and people refuse to let it go. They've got to win the argument. They've got to be right. Why do you think there's church splits? Useless wranglings? People can't let it go. They can't give in to anything that's not according to their own opinion. Let me tell you something. Most church splits are not based upon, thus saith the Lord. Most church splits are based upon, I want it this way, you want it this way, and nobody's budging, right? He says that's useless wrangling. It's not going to help anybody. It's just going to cause more problems. He says, let's see. He says, they're men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth. Their mind is morally corrupt. They have a wicked heart. They're destitute of truth. They're robbed of truth. They don't have the truth. Although a lot of times, these people that don't have the truth and they don't know what's right, a lot of times they're the ones that are the most vocal and they want their opinion heard and they can't let it go and they've got to get their way. You see, and that's not going to work. That's not going to work For anything. He says a lot of these people, let's go back to these people, that's going to teach otherwise from what the Apostle Paul says, they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Do a lot of people teach a lot of things today to get bigger numbers, to draw people in, to get a bigger contribution, to get a bigger paycheck, to get a bigger house? Do these televangelists, do they live in multi-million dollar mansions and all of these things? And they'll teach anything and say anything to get that, right? Listen, we've got to go by the Bible, and it doesn't matter what we get out of it. On this earth, it's what we get out of it in eternity. He says, from those types of people, withdraw yourself. Romans 6, 17, and 18, if somebody doesn't teach what Paul taught. He says, you've got to mark that person. you got to mark them. Second, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. We've got to withdraw ourselves from everybody that walks contrary to the doctrine received from them. Romans, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we got to withdraw from people that are walking in sin. I appreciate your attention.